Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. The easy part. Good news from Galatians, part four of 10. Justified or nullified, we're in Galatians chapter two, verses 11 through 21. The sermon series is called The Easy Part in tribute to the fact that Jesus Christ did the hard part for us on the cross. Amen? He did the hard part. That's what it is to be a Christian, to believe that. And everything that happens in our lives, the hardest of the things that we go through, the most difficult, it's, it's all the easy part in comparison and made uh, easier, if you will, because of Christ being with us no matter what. We're in the thick of it now. This is a serious book. Serious things happen in this book. Uh, all the Bible is serious, but there's a, there's a seriousness of tone here that Paul takes. That the, the tone is a little different than any other book, a little edgier. We're, we're starting to get into that part. Let me just read the text first and foremost. The Word of God from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from Jesus, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Pray with me. Well, thank you for your word. And we see in Paul's letters episodes like this, portions like this that are difficult, deal with the, the difficult balance of thought between the fact that you died for our sins on the cross, you did all the work, you did the hard part, and the fact that you call us to a holy life. And Lord, in the midst of all this, we, uh, 
We rely on you. Show us the gospel, how it is to be lived. Do that work, your work, in us and in between us so that we honor you and you are glorified. That's our prayer. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So when I was ordained and installed, August 2nd, 1998, uh, my terms of call, which is really the, the name of the contract, if you will, that I had with the, with the church, it, it had a strange little addendum written there. I mean, most of it was typed out, but written in black ink on the terms of call, the, the very document that the Presbytery of the East approved was an addition, a, a notation, officially permitting me to use the church dumpster. I suspect that some people thought it was a joke. It was no joke. And there's a bit of a story behind why it was no joke. We go back to 1995, and I live exactly one mile from the front doors of the old sanctuary on 17K, across from Richard's Ice Cream Stand at 1108 Route 17K. It's that small house there. I looked it up on Zillow. It says it's a two-bedroom house. Well, the whole time we lived there, we never found that second bedroom. <laughs> I don't know where that is, okay? Maybe it, they meant the closet that we had there. You know, it was, it was tiny, and, and we loved it. It was $525 a month, which I don't think you can get anything for these days. But there it was. We needed it. I was starting seminary. Uh, we were both in graduate school, both pretty busy. The only thing is, there was no garbage service. Not a problem. I could bring my little bit of garbage to wherever people would let me. And our recyclables, well, we had a place for that right there on Bracken Road, if you remember. I don't know if you remember that, but you could bring your recyclables there and you had to sort them out. And there was a guy there in a truck watching you to make sure you didn't dump some garbage there. But so you just did the recyclables. So that was cool. We're all set. First few months living there was great. We're busy. We didn't amass much garbage. And we had this shed that's still there as well, kind of a big shed. And what I could do is I could just bring the garbage out, out to the shed. And then when it was time, just take it wherever. That was the plan. Perfect. We had a small group, a care group that we led, college and careers care group, 15 people in that care group. So when 15 people came over, and before that we'd clean up and we'd remove all the clutter and certainly all the garbage, even the tiniest little bit of garbage in the pail that stunk, well, it stunk up the whole house. It didn't have to work hard to do that because there wasn't much to the whole house. So we got everything out of there to the shed. It went to the shed. Thank God for the shed. And that was summer when we first started there, early fall. I found another place to bring our garbage, but we had some garbage in the shed. And kind of late fall, I said, all right, I got a little bit of time. Let me get, go out there and kind of clean that up. And I was, I was prepared. You know, it's going to stink. It's going to smell bad. This, it's going to be the smell of death, right, in there. I was kind of prepared for that. So uh, I opened it up, and it, it was a little different. You know, because if you leave your garbage around for a really, really long time, it's going to rot. If you leave it around even longer, it's going to come to life. 
Now, rest assured, I have no photographs on the slideshow of an individual with a small army of maggots crawling up his arm. Because I don't want you to see that. I don't want you to think that. <laughs> and there's no video footage either because it just took too long. It took all day. I won. The maggots lost. Finally got it all cleaned out. Now, the whole time we were there, I mean, right from the beginning when the, when the small group came over, you know, they're like, oh, it's so clean. The place is so clean. Now, looking back, I realized that was a lie. Because just a few feet away, the truth was making itself known. You shall know the truth, and it shall be set free from the overstuffed green garbage bags you put it in. And it was a form of hypocrisy. It looked one way, it was another. Hypocrisy, it's tough to study hypocrisy. Because really when we're talking about hypocrisy, we're talking about people. People who say and show one thing, but they do, they are another thing. And it's hard to study it because you, you, if, you, if you want to talk about it at all, you get caught up in it because you know you're not uh, innocent of it because no one is. We all get caught up in this. And it's one of those things that it would be nice if no one ever had to talk about, but we do because it's a problem, and it's a big problem, and Jesus thought so especially. I mean, hypocrisy is this false front. It's a false face. It comes from a word that... Uh, harkens back to the theater, to acting, to impersonating. You're acting like something you're not. It's a form of lying. And really, the Bible presents it as a form of trying to hide your garbage or even pretending that you never even have any garbage. I found a couple of examples, definitions of hypocrisy online. People who tell you not to eat candy, but they chomp away on licorice all day. People who say they hate cars, but always beg you for a ride. But in the Bible, much more serious examples of hypocrisy, like in today's verses, where Paul accuses Peter, the greatest Christian of all, number one Christian in history. And he accuses Peter and, and all the other apostles in sight of hypocrisy. And he echoes Jesus, who called the Pharisees hypocrites. Now, you're impersonators of righteousness. You're, you're, you're not being the real thing. You're just saying that you are. And Jesus had a problem with hypocrisy, really not just public hypocrisy, but its source, private hypocrisy. Because he knew that it, it was no good for anyone, especially the hypocrite. Trying to hide your garbage, you can't do it. It was Christ who said this in a series of woe statements. Oh, there's the picture of the dumpster. Enjoy that. Sorry, I didn't put that up for you. Now, it's Christ who said this in a series of woe statements. He said, so you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You're putting on a mask and trying to hide the garbage, even from yourself, if that were possible. And that's the lie of all religion. That's the lie of all false religions, of the religious spirit. It's what Jesus saves us from. He saves us 
from this. He died to save us from this. He saves us from lies and the lie that we need lies. And there's a seriousness in this text that we're looking at today because we see a violation of the gospel. That's what Paul felt here. And he felt it from, from Peter again. And it's a frightening moment. I mean, Paul apparently was the only leader of the church on earth, as far as we can tell. I mean, maybe Luke is an exception. He was a Gentile leader. Maybe there were some other Gentile leaders, but I don't think there were that many at this point. So Paul is the only leader of the church on earth who had not been deceived, seduced in this way, perhaps seduced by the religious attraction of hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy and religion, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, hypocrisy found its best friend in religion, and religion especially all religion that is really apart from God, found its best friend in hypocrisy. They just go together. And, I mean, we know that God is sovereign. Of course, there would have been a New Testament. Of course, the gospel was safe. But if you had just human hands to trust here, well, we're in trouble here in this episode that Paul is describing, starting in chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, so Cephas is Peter, that's Peter, okay? Peter, the one who three times denied Christ. And then at the end, Jesus is walking around resurrected. And Jesus hurts his feelings by saying, do you love me? Of course I love you. Feed my sheep. He says three times. And so you see the restoration of Peter here. And I've even heard sermons that talk about there's Peter before. And then Christ did his thing. And then Peter after a different guy. I don't know about that. That whole different guy thing, that different person, that we become different people. I think with Christ, I've seen it so many times that people do seem to change, but you get to know the people, you get to know yourself, and you know, I really didn't change. It's not that I am an apprentice of Jesus Christ. You know, and, and I've learned from him, and now when I face temptations, I make the right decisions, or I know what to do. In fact, I'm pretty sure that all that's happened to me is I'm more aware of the fact that I will not make the right decision. I'm more aware of the fact that I don't know what to do, and I call out to him, I cry out to him. So my day-to-day -day Christian life is, God, help me. Christ, help me. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I can't do this. Help me. Help me. It's not, I got this. Thanks for the tip. Thanks for being such a good life coach. None of that. It's like, help, I'm drowning. Every day. In one way or another. So, he confronts Cephas. But when Cephas came to ask, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Peter, condemned. If whatever Peter went through, whatever happened to Peter, happened to Peter, do you think you are better? More informed? More equipped? Uh, I don't think so. This is after everything. After Pentecost. After all of that. 
established. Here he is. He's standing condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So this means that Peter was reverting back to the ceremonial law, this practice of not eating with Gentiles. He was fearing people and their opinion. He was fearing people who did not fear God enough to trust Christ. This was a serious moment, horizontally speaking. I mean, in terms of the human leadership of the church, we're in trouble right now. And Peter's doing what he's doing in public, and so Paul rebukes him in public, and that's really rare. You don't do that. You take somebody aside and say, can I talk for you? But Peter's doing this in front of everybody, leading everybody astray, and so Paul confronts him publicly. The rebuke continues. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas was the one who mentored Paul. The one who's writing this. After Acts chapter 9, Barnabas took Paul and made introductions, and people didn't trust Paul at first, but Barnabas changed that. He put himself on the line and and did amazing things for Paul, and so it had to be a heartbreaking moment in a way for Paul too, as he describes it here. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, so it's not just a dust-up. A conflict. We're seriously derailed here. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So again, a couple things to keep in mind here. Paul had indeed earned the respect of the apostles, so much so as to receive uh, his rebuke. Paul is clear about what's at stake. The gospel itself is at stake. You know, either Jesus did all the hard part on the cross or not. There's no halfway. Either Jesus is everything the Bible says he is and did everything the Bible says he did, or none of it matters. It's a light switch always when it comes to Jesus. It's not a scale. It's not a spectrum. It's Jesus or not. He died for your sins, all of them for all time, paid the price for your sins, or he didn't. Add anything to the gospel, and you subtract everything from the gospel. Amen? Add anything to the gospel, and you subtract everything from the gospel. It's not a trivial matter. And Paul goes on to explain, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's really clear, right? So keep in mind, he is not uh, saying that only Gentiles were sinners. He uses that phrase because he's going to mirror it in talking about the Jewish Christians. And this whole time he's talking about Gentile or Jewish Christians. And Paul acknowledges his shared spiritual heritage with Jews. And he's basically saying, look, you can't hide your garbage in a shed and think that it will go away. 
You can't do that. You can't go back to thinking that you can somehow behave your way into God's favor or that there's a group of people that do and a group of people that don't. So someone has to take away the garbage. No matter if you're Jewish or not Jewish, all the other people in the world who are not Jewish covered by this one term, Gentile. So think of it this way. On Judgment Day, you're either holding your own sins and garbage bags in your hands or Jesus, if you will, held those sins in his nail-pierced hands on crucifixion day. That's it. Those are the choices. And it doesn't mean that our sin is okay from now on. So that's always the line that, that Paul is drawing, always making this uh, distinction so that we don't think that somehow the gospel now is permission to do whatever you want. Basically, if you want to do whatever you want and that's sin, then the gospel has not taken hold. And it's, it's not working in your life. And, and, and Paul lays that out over and over again throughout his letters. And he does so here as he says this. He's talking to Jewish believers here. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. That can be the law. That can be any breaking of the law. Everything that would stand against Christ. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So the bottom line is that we can do our best to live in ways that please God per Scripture, and we want this in Christ. But we can never, ever depend on our behavior to justify us before God. Only Christ's death on the cross can do that for us, for anyone, anytime, anywhere in history. And the real bottom line is that we fail to do this. We fail to live in ways that please God, whether we're Jewish or Gentile. Whether you're St. Peter or Saint, fill in your name, right? The gospel tears down law-keeping, rule-following religion. Tears it down, especially as a means of redemption. We die to law-keeping, rule-following religion if we live to Christ. And Peter knew this. And yet the opinions of others, their religious opinions, their religious judgment influenced even Peter. It's interesting to consider what garbage he was hiding because it's always the case. The reason for hypocrisy is always that we're trying to hide something. There is no hypocrisy without hiding. So what's Peter hiding? And that's, that blows up the whole idea that Peter's somehow a different guy now. He's sanctified holy Peter. That's not that, that idea that he now is, you know, approaching demigod status. He now is approaching, you know, now he gets his halo. Ooh, right? That, that's not in the Scriptures. And it interferes with the gospel. It, it waters down the gospel. We need all the gospel all the time. And, and Paul is making this clear. And when we look at why we're hypocrites, really there's two main reasons. There's two families of, of reasons 
that go behind our hypocrisy. The first is that we did the wrong thing. I, I was wrong. And, and this is not, this is less people than the second category. Uh, you've done something wrong. You've, you've sinned in a way. You don't think, you, you, you're constantly reviewing, well, can this be forgiven? Can I be forgiven? And, there, and there's several of us haunted by that. And that, that haunting diminishes the gospel. It interferes with the gospel. The gospel wants to do away with that. Either he died for your sins or he didn't. Either you're forgiven or you're not. Amen? You can't be on your way to forgiveness. What's that? Nope. You know, well, you know, Jesus, he started things rolling with his death on the cross. Now I've got to keep it going, and I'm going to try. And, and this day I didn't do so good. I don't feel that close to God. This, I was so shiny righteous today. Yes, I was. And I really looked good in church, didn't I? Nope. None of that's any good. None of it. So there, there's that, that, that guilt, and it's powerful. I mean, if you feel it now, you feel it now. You don't like me making light of it even because you, oh, you don't know what I did. You don't know what I didn't do. You don't know what I said. I do. The larger category is over here. So there's I did the wrong thing. I wronged. And over here is I was wronged. And this is by far the favorite reason for hypocrisy. Oh, we love this. There's nothing better than the offense, the lifetime offense, how you were wronged. Oh, it justifies everything. It is so handy all the time, never lets you down. Oh, you can pull that thing out all the time. You can use it when you're alone in the room to justify just about anything. And of course, it's a hypocrisy that's going to come, that's going to flow in one form or another so many creative ways we can be hypocrites. It's garbage. Christ wants to take it from you. To forgive and be forgiven is to have whatever you feel you did wrong, to let go of that, to hand it to Christ, to let go of it. And then that, that idea of being wrong doesn't mean the person who did you wrong now is off the hook. No, it means you're off the hook. You're off the hook because you've forgiven. takes one to forgive. takes two to reconcile. takes one to forgive. And you're commanded to forgive. You're not given the choice. It's not a suggestion. It's not a helpful hint. You either forgive or you don't know Christ. Because it's, it's, it's all forgiveness all the way around, 360 degrees of forgiveness, or there's nothing. Because he wants you to be free, really free. Not half free. Not, you know, in love with the idea of being free. Free. Amen? Free. So, the gospel, it's good news for anyone who wants to be justified in Christ by grace. And it's bad news for religion. Bad news for hypocrisy. Bad news for religion that nullifies grace per Paul. So, so Paul, the Holy Spirit's leading Paul to point out what's wrong in Peter and all the rest of the Christian leaders. Because now they're trying to put on a show. For somebody, well, let me look more righteous. And the minute that takes hold, you start to lose everything. Add anything to the gospel and you subtract everything from the gospel. So Paul has made this confrontation. 
He's pointed out what's wrong. And in the midst of this, he highlights what it's supposed to look like, how it works. You don't become a better person on your own because you were taught to be so by the teacher and you were a good student and you got an A in class and now you've graduated and you're now a, a, a higher class of spiritual beings somehow. No, you are continually and always dependent on Christ. It's an ongoing relationship. That's where we get the word from. That's why we say that word so much, because that's what it is, a relationship. And that's pointed out by this most famous of verses, Galatians 2.20. Here's what it is. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So it's justified or nullified. Justified by grace or you nullify grace. You know, and to add something to the gospel, that's how you nullify it. If we can't keep the law, it's not good then that the second choice, the next best option is not to fake keeping the law, right? The minute we think it would be good to fake being good, we're swimming in the deep end of the pool of religious hypocrisy. Amen? Yes. And there's no need for it. It doesn't help. You don't have to do this. It doesn't save the maggots are coming. Don't do it. The law doesn't save because you can't keep it. You can't get righteousness through the law, only through Christ. And God wants this more than anything else in our lives. He wants us to get this. And for some of us, this is why we're, we're feeling stuck in our lives. Because in a sense, we are. Because Christ has us stuck where we're at until we get this. Get the gospel. Know who he is. Trust in his work on the cross, all of it. Look at yourself this way. Look at all the other people in the world that you get to see this way. And then you have the foundation. And then you can take the next step with Christ, always with him, him living through you. It's so powerful, Galatians 2.20. And now you've seen it in the context, an alarming context. Like the gospel was, was in a human sense, you know, never really lost in terms of God. Again, he's sovereign, protects his word, protects the gospel. But in a human sense, we're just about to lose it here. Thank God for Paul and him confronting Peter and the rest of them. And so that you see that context, and now that's why it stands out. You know, that's why the, the verse is, is so often committed to memory by so many people, because Christ in us is righteousness. And it starts and ends really with the cross, which is always connected to the empty tomb. You can live for real in Christ, no hiding necessary. And, and that's, I mean, there's... It's, 
it's Jesus having done the hard part. That's it. On the cross, he, he validated, you know, it's, it's validated eternally by his empty tomb. You know, they, he, he took our garbage, our sin and death and hell, and replaced it with life. He did all of that. So when you're tempted to be a hypocrite, when you're tempted to, to paint this over with religion for one reason or another, and that's hypocrisy, then you got to ask, what garbage are you hiding? And, and there, there's some of us, we, we, we know what it is. We, we, we know what it is. Why don't you let Jesus take that from you? It's fun to come to service. It's fun to have the fellowship, good sermons, good songs, whatever. Whatever part of it you enjoy, that's all good. God wants something better for you. He wants to take the garbage. He wants to save you from your sins. Not just conceptually, like actually. Like it's, it's your body, your flesh. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh that's not, you know, in the, in the, in the clouds and the fog. Ooh, I'm a Christian up here, but down here I'm just a little nasty, whatever I am. I can do what I want because, you know, that's it. That's the, the life in the body and the life of the flesh. And No, he says, hey, that body belongs to me. That body, that head, that brain. I'm having problems with that brain. I want that brain, says Jesus. That mouth, give me that mouth. Oh, that mouth's causing trouble. Both what comes out and what goes in, right? And give me the hands, give me the arms, give me the whole rest of the package. That's where I want to live. I want to live through that. That's what I'm saving. You know, Christianity is something we do with our bodies. Holiness is something we do with our bodies. And people get trapped. They, they have this whole idea. They have this idea of themselves as holy, but they're a mess. And then what happens there is we, we love our hypocrisy. Like there's some of you where you're offended right now because I'm poking at your hypocrisy and poking at mine too. And yes, it is offensive because you want that mask. We love that mask. We want to be fake. We want to lie to everybody. We want to have all our garbage, bring on the maggots. Come on, there's something about us, something broken, something wrong with us. But we seek that. And God is breaking through that. And the Holy Spirit reveals, exposes that. And says, come out of that tomb, Lazarus. Come out. Live. Be alive. Be real. Be an authentic human being. You know how you be an authentic human being? You stay connected with your creator all the time. Obligated to your creator. Responsive to your creator. Living for the one who gave you life. And we'll continue to do so for eternity. And this, we, we ache for this. We sin to get back to this. If you look at the reasons why, you know, we're hiding the garbage because we think that we can fake our way, you know, fake it till you make it, you know, and, and, and we'll be accepted by others. And what do we want there? Do we really care what others think? No, not really. We think we do. We really want God. We want to get back in. We want, we want the big guy him to say I like you I'm into you I love you I want you I want you back and how is that possible only one way through Christ who does this in us for us so 
before we go to communion, our first Lenten communion weekend. Let's take a look at this picture again. What needs to go there? Let's do real work. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to talk to people. Even when you talk to people, it's really about telling God. It is between you and God. You can share with 100 different human individuals. It's still between you and God. What is it? Ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? He, he wants this for you. Look at this. I have been crucified with Christ. I've given it all to him. That's one way of saying it. And you know what? I'm not depending on me, and I'm not depending on how to sort it out, figure it out. I want to do all those things. Boy, do I want to do all those things. I don't, I don't, nobody wants God in their lives. They want to be God. I don't want a Savior. I want to be the one, oh, you're good. I've come for these other people, but not you. Stick around. Maybe you can help them out. Right? <laughs> no. It's no longer I who live. The sin has made me dead. If I'm getting life, I'm getting it from someone else. Where am I getting it from? But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's what we remember. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I wonder why he said that. Is it because we forget so quickly and so easily? I think so. We forget. And we revert to our religions and our hypocrisies and our hiding and our fear. And, and he sets us free from all of that. He bore all of that, if you will, in his body on the cross. So, Lord, thank you. Would you set apart these elements as the men now hand out the elements of communion and we all consider your word here, each one of us. We know it's no accident that you've brought us here in the text. Lord, set apart these elements as they're being distributed. This, this bread and this cup, I'll let them be to our faith, your body broken, your blood shed, to pay the full price for all our sins and to set us free from our garbage, from our sin, from death, from hell, from being separate from you, Lord God. Thank you. Lord, it can be frightening. It can be overwhelming. I think of that moment when Peter was confronted. I have no doubt there were tears in his eyes. Because he knew once again that he'd blown it. He knew once again that you saw it. You saw what he did, how he blew it. And yet it wasn't just regret, remorse, I bet that there were the stronger motivation behind those tears was that they were tears of relief and tears of joy, if you will. Wait a minute. I don't have to do this. This is exhausting. I can't keep doing this. I really am free. Jesus really did pay the price for my sins on the cross. I really am redeemed.
by the Lamb of God, his sacrifice. I can't add anything to it, and he doesn't call me to add anything to it. Thank you, Lord. Give parents discernment as to whether or not their children partake. Parents and guardians. It's important that all partake, understand, and believe the gospel. And it's not something we did. It's not us being good, you know, earning the right to come to the table. No. You did the earning, and it's your right to call us. You call us to remember you. And so we do. And we pray that we not only do that, but that we worship you now in spirit and truth. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people say, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.